Hey guys, it's Roberta and Rachel, and we are so excited because the Archwell website just launched from Megan and Harry, and so we recorded the episode before it just appeared. Crazy because, you know, they have spoke so much about this and now it's finally here and the website, so they kind of give a little bit of a definition. Um, they say art. Arche or arche means the Greek word for source of action as they define well as a plentiful source or supply, a place we go to dig deep. So together it's Archawell um, and an email subscription. Rachel, what are your thoughts? Well, I think it's pretty fascinating because, you know, they will talk about it in the episode, but they did the Time 100 event where they talked about combating online hate speech and sort of an action plan with that where they united a lot of different panelists. And supposedly this website quietly went live during that event, but it really just broke the news today. So a day later, we're hearing that this went live and we have been waiting for this, Roberta. How much have you talked about this? Well, so they spoke, the couple spoke about it back in April. I can't believe it was all the way back in April. They said before Sussex Royal came this idea of Arche or Arche, the Greek word. Is Arche? I think it's Arche. I think probably alone, but I know that they say Archwell. I think the Greek word is Arche, but together it's Archwell. Let's just go with that. That is um, what it sounds right. <laughs> they said that they like connected to this concept because of the charitable organization that they hoped to build one day. So it had always been kind of in their brains and that it became the inspiration for their son's name, as we know, Archie. They wanted to do something of meaning, to do something that matters. Um, as far as the Instagram, I just checked. There's no Instagram live yet, but there is also no account that bears just the name Archwell. So exciting stuff to come. Well, and it's so exciting because it's like this is the the 2.0 because Sussex Royal was supposed to be their main brand. And this is the new brand. So and the new brand is it's very different from Sussex Royal. Let's get into that real yeah. quick that the colors and everything. So it's like a taupe. Color. Yeah, it's much more muted. muted and there's the fonts beautiful fonts. Really, you know, yeah, you mentioned it's kind of it's kind of influencer esque. I feel like you know, it, right. I, I'm I'm always you know we're we're super into fonts, and I think that these are well chosen fonts. There's an email capture sign up which I did subscribe uh, in two places, but we didn't. I checked my inbox after setting it up. There's no spam check. You're in. I think once you subscribe. But uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is once you do sign up, there is an address that's a Beverly Hills address. So. As we've talked a lot about on the pod, could this be a place to send birthday cards, royal mail? Like, I'm not sure, but it it's a it's a firm address. <laughs> it's an address. I do think that that's probably what it'll be. There's also an email address, which I'm sure is getting flooded as we speak with emails, excitement, um, also probably criticism from, you know, who, whoever from all sides. But of course, we know um, that we now, yeah, we are able to contact them and sign up. Contact. That's so I know. crazy. Very exciting. We also know that there's an, a trademark filed. So over the summer, there was trademarks regarding Archwell. We weren't sure what that entailed. It entailed all sorts of things. It covered, you know, it kind of ran the gamut. So I think that'll be really interesting because I do get kind of an influencer vibe. I le- sorry, you mentioned influencer. I mean, lifestyle vibe from this website. Absolutely. Which is interesting because when we previously had Micah Meyer on our podcast as a guest, she nodded to Royal Predictions about Meghan and Harry. This was way back in, I feel like April. And she mentioned that a lifestyle website would go live um, down the road. That was one of her predictions. And this could be the beginning of that. I mean, everything's still unfolding. Like we said, this is breaking news. So it's we can't wait to dig into it on next week's episode of the pod. I cannot wait. All right, Rachel. Now for the full episode. Please rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Stand by! 
Welcome back to Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And it's time for your weekly update on all the royal news you need to know. Just a couple of royal reminders, as always, before we dive in. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Definitely join the Facebook group, Royally Obsessed, and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And you can send us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Rachel, how was your weekend? It was good. I got the sweater. The sweater. <laughs> the sheep sweater. The Diana sheep rowing blazer. Uh, well, I wore it the full day on Saturday. I wore it to the playground. I got my hair cut. I wore it, it everywhere. It so good. It's actually so cute. Like at Worth first I was every like, penny. Yeah. I wasn't sure if it was going to feel like totally it didn't work, but I, I really love it. And it's really high quality and... I'm so proud of my purchase. I'm thrilled. Oh, wait. And also, you were twinning with Tan France over the weekend. Oh, my gosh. I know. I love Tan France. I love what he posted about the sweater, too. He looks incredible in it, by the way. I'm like, ooh. He maybe really does. And his <laughs> vote message was so, so good. So good. Yeah. But um, but how was your weekend? It was good. It was good. Um, We went hiking, which is like the perfect ooh. socially distanced activity with some friends. It was really nice to like get some exercise and get out of um our place for a little bit and stuff. So it was great. Beautiful weather. I also realized that we're staying near a street called Markle Street. What? And I'm like, okay. Spelled the same way? Yes. And Thomas Markle's family's from Pennsylvania. Weird. So I got to look into that. investigate that. There's so much history all around. You just have to investigate. Take a minute. Look it up. I can't (laughs) wait to hear the update on that. Well, Rose, we have such an exciting episode for you. We have a special guest, Robert Lacey, historian for The Crown, but also author of the new book, Battle of Brothers, The Inside Story of a Family in Tumult, out this week. I think I say tumult, right? I always get a little tripped up with that word. Um, yeah. And then no, I think we're good. so thrilled to get to talk to him, especially with uh, the Crown season four coming yes. up. Yes. Multiple things. Uh, and then we are going deep into Meghan and Harry's Time 100 event, William and the Queen's joint in-person appearance, and so much more. But first, our royal refreshment. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. I am drinking my Nespresso <laughs> coffee, and it is. I am also drinking tea today. <laughs> but you have a special Mike. mug. Of course. Tell everyone what's on your mug. Well, this is my Sophie and Lily, uh, Harry and Meghan wedding mug, May 19th, 2018. I had to bust oh, it, it out, I mean, so- for the pod. I love it. It's so pretty. <laughs> but yeah, it's way too early. We are, just for, for reference, we're early recording this week, day ahead of the episode airing, just so we can chat with Robert, who's on a different, you know, different time zone. Different time zone. Yeah. In in the UK. So we're very excited for that. Um, but we wanted to talk about a wonderful thread in the Royally Obsessed Facebook group. So someone else got the sweater <laughs> as well. Victoria posted that she got her sheep jumper today. From I should Rowing call it Blazes. a jumper. Why am I calling it, it looks a sweater? so good, Victoria. Oh my God. You're like, she has it with a, um, a button down underneath. So the collar is like popping out over the sweater. It looks amazing. It looks she said, even though it's 90 plus degrees today in Northern California, I had to try it on. I feel like I've loved this sweater forever. <laughs> I love that. Beautiful quality and a perfect weight. Well done to rowing blazers and warm and wonderful. I'll be wearing it all winter. And the 
thread got 64 comments. Everyone else loves it, of course, as much as we do. And I'm sure lots of subsequent sales after Victoria. Well, I feel post. like a lot of the Roros even commented. They were like, just bought it, just bought it. So I feel like, Victoria, you are selling that sweater well. <laughs> but you can't get it till 2021. Is that yeah, right? Well, right now? It's impressive that they didn't just like say it's sold out, actually. So they are giving the That's opportunity nice. to pre-order it. But it just they can't tell you when exactly in 2021 it will arrive. But still, I mean, got they're not it. just cutting it off. I even saw right. Warm and Wonderful post, which I'm now I'm now following them on Instagram. Oh, I need to follow them. Yeah, they said that they're toying with the idea of bringing it back in other colors, which it originally existed in, like a <gasps> green and things like that. So very I exciting. I did not know it existed in other colors. Yeah, that they share so some exciting. throwback pics. So it's worth a follow to check that out. I love it. Well, this week in royal history, you guys. And now, this week in royal history. A royally adjacent moment. I thought uh, this would be kind of fun since we were talking so much about Earthshot and JFK last week. July 20th, 1969 was the moment that astronaut Neil Armstrong landed on the moon, as we know. But October 1969 was when the trio of heroes headed to the palace, Buckingham Palace, something we also know from The Crown. Uh, But one part that didn't make the episode, apparently the queen had a pretty awkward encounter with Armstrong upon his visit, which in The Crown, I feel like Philip kind of had an awkward encounter. But whether that's true or not. We should check with Robert. But uh, the astronaut (laughs) was nursing actually a pretty bad cold, but Armstrong's wife was completely adamant, like unwavering that they will make it to the palace. That would be me. I would be like, we are going. (laughs) Suck it up. I don't care if you're embalmed, we're going. Like, And that was a quote from Armstrong. So anyways. We had to, you know, Wheel you in there. We're going. <laughs> We're not missing this. Yeah. Anyways, um, Armstrong ended up coughing all over Queen Elizabeth twice. Even mm. when he started to apologize, he continued to hack up a lung. And the queen, ever the graceful, you know, monarch that she is, she yes. just reacted by putting her hands up as in like fake surrender. And uh, and I don't really know what that reaction meant, but she was like, if that it's was fine. today, he'd get like tackled by bodyguards because of I know, COVID. Because of COVID. You know what I mean? Right? Like it's it's actually kind of weird to read that he was like coughing everywhere because it's like, it ooh, like we're all our mindsets are so skewed now because of everything. So, I, so I just feel like that's I feel like we're also permanent germaphobes. She's also like kind of witty and funny and like holding her hands up like that. I just feel I like think that she has a be... great sense of humor. I feel mm-hmm. like even in the Zoom calls, she's been really witty and funny. So I love this story. And then I guess another quick awkward moment was that one of the other astronauts nearly fell down the stairs because the protocol is don't turn your back on the queen. So I feel right. like there was a lot of chaos oh, no. during that particular visit. So he was trying to back down and fell. <laughs> oh my God. No. It's funny though because I think this highlights so perfectly how we talked about last week, like the earth shot relation to the moon shot, you know, all of that yeah. and how they're, they love, love, love the moon landing. Love it. I, I do think that this is great, a great tie-in and love yes. hi- royally adjacent history. Royally so. adjacent. I like that that phrase. Anyways, um, moving on, this week's royal news update. So we're going to do a quick couple of quick stories before chatting with Robert. Uh, but first, a really major event this week, the Time 100 event that Meghan and Harry did. Um, we got a couple of new picks. That was exciting, kind of announcing this event that were shot by Matt Sales, who was the same person that shot the Gloria Steinem video. So is that going to be their kind of regular photographer? TBD, but interesting. Um, But we saw them headline sort of a virtual panel where they tackled conversations about online hate and misinformation online. I personally loved hearing them talk about how they're prioritizing their advocacy work when there are so many options to choose from. So we're going to play a clip of that. How do you prioritize? How do you think about where you can make a difference? I mean, I think for both of us individually and also as a couple, 
our commitment to the causes that we have really worked towards for a long time, well before even knowing each other, are unwavering. And it was only in the past couple of years that we both started to connect the dots of all of the work that I was doing on women's empowerment or young girls and their sense of self and self-worth and seeing what the online spaces were doing to that community. And equally, I think, you know, obviously my husband has worked quite a bit in the space of mental health, but also the environment, which you can touch on. Yeah, I think, I think that the, the mental health aspect is the most obvious to people. I think that's very much been uh, a topic of conversation across a lot of the platforms, but also uh, in the media as well. I just liked hearing that because I do think that it makes sense that everything that they have cared about over the years really does ladder up to everything, the sort of general health of our online experience. Definitely. And I think too in COVID, I mean, they mention it too, but like us spending so much screen time, you know, looking at our devices and being on social media and having really that that's the only option as far as connection for a lot of people. I feel like it's just so pertinent because at first I was like, okay, to go after social media doesn't feel that, you know, there's so many things happening right now that I feel like that could be, you know, pushed to a later date and we could tackle it at another time because of all the other stuff that 2020 has handed us. But I think that thinking about that and thinking about how pervasive our online presence has been and how much we're just all like consumed by being online, I think that this is a really – um, important, you know, it's it's good timing for them. And also the big picture, like Google just was sued by the Department of Justice and for, that. you know, for being powerful. I feel like they too big, whatever monopoly. But it's interesting if they if Meghan and Harry's work with this has, you know, kind of effects on you know, policies going forward. I feel totally, like that'll be super totally. interesting. I know. Well, I feel like just hearing them them chat and all their conversations. I mean, they talked with Alexis Ohanian, um, who's the co-founder of Reddit and hubby of um, Megan's bestie, Serena Williams. Yes. Tristan, Tristan, am I saying Tristan Harris? Tristan, yeah. Um, who's the president and founder of the Center for Humane Technology. I particularly loved the, you know, seeing a little kind of segment about teenager therapy. But I think it really brought me kind of back to Harry's essay on in Fast Company about sort of coming up with an action plan to really address this kind of online pandemic where we're really, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's not okay the way, you know, we're being called, I think Megan mentioned somewhere else that, you know, we're considered users. And that's true. I mean, we say like users, but that's like, yeah. re- where else are you called a user? Right. Except social media. You know, she got a lot of criticism for saying that because it's from, it's kind of, it's like almost directly pulled from that social dilemma. Well, yeah, wait, I want to talk but about a lot that of because people you say watched that. that, right? Because that's on my list now, especially after yesterday. I really want to watch the social dilemma. But what you've you've already watched it. Yes, I watched it. I deleted my Facebook right after. <laughs> um, <laughs> dramatic. Yeah. But no, no it, but that's it, it is I'm good. Doing. It was interesting. The more I think about it, the more I did not like the combined style of narrative storytelling with documentary mm-hmm. because there's also a story going on within the documentary that's mm-hmm. all fictionalized. Interesting. But then they have Tristan Harris and a bunch of other really notable, um, I think they're called defectors from okay. big tech that kind of have worked in these companies and then come and, set and you know reveal to the world what's kind of going on behind the scenes. Um, 
it was it was good. It was good. I learned a lot. I mm-hmm. but they definitely say that users thing, and I think she got criticism online for kind of using that. But so many people have said that before, and I think even uh, Harry has said in in a talk that social media he's related it to addiction and stuff like that. So it's definitely mm-hmm. not anything new for them, and I don't think that was really warranted to kind of criticize that she might have plagiarized it or whatever. Um, yeah. But it was good. It's worth a watch. It's worth okay. A watch. I'm definitely. <laughs> it's it's for sure on my list. I just I really yeah. like that this is their kind of you know in the way that William has kind of taken on the the environment and stuff like that. I just really like that this is becoming a their huge cause. tentpole yeah. for Harry and Meghan. Totally. And I like the sort of message that it's like so many communities are being targeted by hate and technology is like amplifying and failing what's credible and true. And I think that it yesterday in particular just kind of really anchored the fact for me that we can take it on on a personal level. Like we can quit Facebook or choose what we're going to consume. Like I've been trying to be more purposeful about my social media use, but this is like a systemic problem. It's like inhumane and tech people and policy people need to get around the same table. I'm definitely on board with their message. Like I think that's what you and I kind of talked about is like, what is the action though? Because they have, they've, you know, the Sussexes have had a lot of these talks and Listening to part of this Time 100 Talks episode, it felt a little repetitive. Yeah, like definitely. When, you know, the editor-in-chief of Time asked them, how are you doing? And yeah. they did the whole, how are we really doing? And they talked about that again and, yep. like, in a way that felt a little too canned at this point because we've heard, we've heard it a it. couple times, mm-hmm. like, especially on the Teenager Therapy podcast. So I'm like, okay, so what's what's the plan? Like, the Earthshot Prize has this, like, clear like 10 years every year we're giving you know a prize to the winner of this challenge whatever this this feels like we're kind of left wondering like what do we do from here like yeah i feel powerless because it's big tech like you know what i mean like completely like i I want to have more of an active role so i'm looking to harry and megan to tell me what to do a little bit more Let's move on. All right. So yesterday we had Kate and William and um, they made a surprise outing to tour two sites in London where the hold still photos are being showcased. I didn't realize that this would not be just a virtual gallery. I was really surprised by that, too. They're going to. Yeah. So there's big billboards of all the finalist photos all around the UK. They're in 112 places around the UK. And a lot of them are in the photographer's hometowns, which I thought was really sweet. Um, And so tons of, I guess, a couple of places in London, but, you know, all over that the pictures are being showcased in huge, huge billboards. So it looked really amazing for them to stand in front of them and kind of, you know, at one point Kate is like pointing out certain aspects of the picture to William and you can tell, you know, her passion for photography always shines through when she does anything like this. My favorite part, though, is that they were right by a KFC oh, and yeah. William looked through the window at someone's KFC meal. And then KFC, we got to give their social media team a raise. They <laughs> they tweeted the picture of him looking through the glass and they said, William whispered quietly to himself, oh, I just can't wait to be wing." <laughs> I was crying laughing when I saw that. And also, like, that shot, I mean, that doesn't make the major, like, media outlets. I loved that sort of introspective moment for him. It made the, it made the Daily Mail today. Oh, it did? So I checked, yeah. <laughs> okay. they, that was, like, one of the, the only pictures they chose from the event. Kind of sad that it got derailed a little bit, but... I, 
uh, they also tweeted, I'm sad I didn't call him his royal thighness in the main tweet. It's just like, okay, give these give these people a race. Oh they deserve gosh, it. Hilarious. Um, but Kate looked stunning. I loved her coat. Red, like a little bit oversized Alexander McQueen coat, which is her wedding dress designer, and a new chic handbag by Grace Hahn. Very, I thought very Queen Elizabeth. The like little top handle black bag. Yeah, I thought so too. Even her pumps, for some reason, with that yeah. coat looked very Queen Elizabeth to me. With the like chunky heel black pumps, I I do think we said last week that uh, Prince William has felt more kingly recently, like yeah. with the Earthshot Prize and with the TED Talk and everything. Like definitely has, and with his joint, you know, engagement with Queen Elizabeth, which we'll talk about. But I do think that Kate Middleton also feels more queenly a lot. Because I do of too. Her, I think that they're really yeah, they're rising really like up to these roles, stepping up into their roles um, more so than when they were just kind of. I mean, it still always have been obviously very you know put together and stately, but I guess they're just really kind of owning it now. I feel like my favorite shot was also Kate's exit from the car. I mean, she had her mask on. Bravo. I love those shots. Um, But her hair, like she had an exceptional blowout yesterday. Like she just looked incredible. And that coat, I just, I'm all in. Her hair looked amazing. Also, like, hello, I didn't know we skipped to Christmas already. She's wearing red. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay, we're already here. We'll skip. I have Megan's red coat on the brain too, the Centilar coat, because I just did a little test drive. If you look on uh, Pure Wow, we have, um, I tried the coat that she wore uh, when she was pregnant. And I I I feel like I'm all in on the red coat now. It's all I want in my wardrobe. (laughs) It was very Diana too. Diana's worn a couple red coats. So um, they they didn't wear masks in all of the, you know, encounters though, which I thought was well, kind of Well, they wore them at the table. I did see when they sat with frontline workers yes, and yes. they were outside, they all kept their masks on. But I do feel like it's very jarring when, because the UK numbers are so, so bad for the COVID. Yeah, right. I know 30 million people are now <laughs> COVID. In... It doesn't need the the. <laughs> the, co- the vibe. The COVID, the virus. <laughs> the COVID. Oh, we should laugh. Um, No, it, yeah. it is crazy though. It's so, I mean, it's, I can't even fathom 30 million people there are now on high alert I think they said mm-hmm. and so I mean it is and it just feels like this would be a perfect moment again to like lead by example and kind of also just to wear a new mask I like love the Amaya kids one but I would love if there was just a matching outfit mask like I yeah. want her to switch it up a little bit totally. um, but they also filmed something later that day for the Pride of Britain award so we had a a uh, costume change, not a mask change, but a costume change where she, Kate Middleton, donned a navy blue suit. Um, and it's by Smythe, I believe, but the coat jacket has been renamed the Duchess jacket because she owns it. So that's pretty interesting. Um, but they are airing the Pride of Britain Awards sometime next month, they said. So we'll that's see. Exciting. But it was, it was kind of like a paparazzi shot. So we didn't see a lot of it. But yeah, exciting stuff to come from them. And then also, like I mentioned, William and the Queen had an engagement uh, last week, and it was the Queen's first outside a royal resident in seven months. We I was missed so the Queen. thrilled to see her. Yeah. Long yes. live the Queen. I know. I know. They toured the UK's National Security Lab and opened a counterterrorism center. The Queen, as she is a monarch and can do whatever she likes, she called the coronavirus this horrible new thing. Like I like that. This horrible new thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, we missed hearing these, like, quippy asides from her. Yeah. And this was, like, the ultimate burn on the coronavirus that she, like, doesn't even <laughs> deem it necessary to call it by its real name. Maybe that's how we should do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it by name. 
everyone's really upset though because they didn't wear masks. I was upset. Yeah, I can't believe it. Again, a you know a moment to showcase to the country that they. Yeah, I think that that's really leaders, what, You know, that's what bothers me about it is that I think that it's even if they did all the details, like everyone around them got tested, they had the air filters blowing air, and you know all these details about how they were actually safe and keeping her protected. Right, all all forty eight people there got tested beforehand, but that wasn't apparent from the pictures and people just see the pictures online and and react you know it's just like just wear a mask because you are leading by example exactly what you said like the queen should demonstrate to her subjects is that are we can we still call them subjects (laughs) probably not (laughs) but her you know the people that that's what the standard is right now i think i know i also just like want to protect her at all costs me too i feel like personally like my lover like we i want to protect her in this well, felt just like one extra step it's one extra precaution like why not just take it and to know what kind of mask the queen would wear oh my like, gosh can you imagine a little corgi style or something <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> i think those are on etsy should we like take bets on what a queen's mask would look yeah, like definitely i love should. it she did rewear the same outfit she wore to an event with kate uh her granddaughter i guess uh last year so i thought that was a really sweet call out sweet nod i guess they call it um and a few days later after the event it was announced that prince william has become patron to two wildlife conservation charities the fauna and flora international which is the world's oldest international wildlife conservation the queen has been patron for seven decades so big deal that she's passing that on to him and then also um the british trust for ornithology which is from prince philip so two major patronages I looked it up. The Queen is patron of 600 organizations. So William has a long way to go. He only has 30 right now. Um, Kate has around 19, I think was the last count from last year. So yeah, they have a long way to go. But this is, I think this is a start of them getting a lot of those duties. Totally. Right? Yeah. I mean, we're skipping over Charles a little bit, but. He has a lot, too. So, like, they just need to kind of start passing them down the line, I guess. Yeah, for sure. Um, And finally, they had the new, unveiling the new portrait of queen um her canadian portrait taken by chris jackson and it was taken in march 2019 so they waited a while to release it not sure why but if you haven't listened to chris jackson's episode with us on royally obsessed you should definitely go back and listen to it like tbt beginning of quarantine (laughs) i know i know um my favorite thing is I stand the queen in a tiara. I feel like we haven't seen her in a tiara in so long. It just feels so right. It was the Belgian sapphire tiara. She also wore a necklace and earrings given to her by her father, King George VI. Um, and in a connection to Canada, she also wore that jewelry on a royal tour there in 1990. But I love that it was a wedding gift from her yeah, dad, who I we all know it. she was really close to. She looks with. incredible. And now we are very excited to chat with Robert Lacey. Robros, we are so excited to welcome Robert Lacey to the podcast. He's a best-selling author and royal biographer, as well as the historian for Netflix's The Crown. His new book, Battle of Brothers, just came out yesterday, Tuesday, October 20th, as we're recording this. Welcome, Robert. We are thrilled to have you. Well, I'm very pleased and happy to be joining some royal maniacs on the other side (laughs) of the pond. Thank you very much. We're a little maniacal so (laughs) (laughs) we truly are but first things first we wanted to find out where are you chatting with us from and how are you holding up during this kind of wild and crazy time well i'm chatting to you from northwest london um st john's wood um and those of you who've read the book will know that um 
Harry came to my neck of the woods, to St. John's Wood recently, because I suppose nowadays St. John's, St. John's Wood used to be famous for a cricket ground called Lord's. Now it's most famous for Abbey Road Studios. And um, I don't want to complain, but, uh, um, you know, our, our lives are quite complicated. As we try to get to work in the morning, there are Japanese and American tourists going to and fro across the zebra crossing, taking photographs and waving like this. But uh, we still love being close to that great source of creativity, which, of course, is still here. Um, I went up there just around the corner here um, just a month or so back to see Prince Harry and Bon Jovi. Um, recording for one of Harry's charities, the Invictus Games for Disabled uh, Servicemen. And of course, what do they do afterwards? They came out and they walked to and fro across the, uh, the zebra. Oh, they did. Yeah. <laughs> As they should when they're when they're in that area. And you're you're holding up okay during this time. I mean, it's just so crazy. We're all kind of pivoting a lot. Well, um, yes, I am holding up well. Um, my wife and I, we've rather enjoyed the time locked away together. Um, but I think it does have relevance to the book because um, this is a time of dissension and disunity to some degree all around the world as to we decide what we should be doing about COVID. And certainly that's the case here uh, in Britain. And um, that's what's placing rather a challenge on the royal family. The Queen rose to it brilliantly um, at the beginning of the, the crisis. Uh, in April, she made this fantastic speech, summoning up the, the memories of World War II, we'll meet again, and so on. Um, since then, I think we've looked to the other generations of the family, and we, we haven't had the leadership we, we hoped for. And of course, that's one of the themes of my book, uh, the battle of the brothers, the rift between the brothers, um, and the way, in fact, that's rather dispiriting for a lot of people in this country. Absolutely. Yeah, that's an interesting perspective. Before we do dive into the book, we just have to ask about The Crown. What is your level of involvement with season four? I am the historical consultant to Peter Morgan um, on The Crown. I'm not the source of the historical material. Peter has a massive um, research team. Um, but obviously, Peter and I have talked about season four just coming important years for me in, in terms of my new interest, because these years we're talking about the uh, end of the 70s, mainly it's about the 80s. These were the years when these boys, um, William and Harry, were born. And we see in this season of The Crown the beginning of the conflicts in the family from which the, the two of them have suffered. Um, and from which, as I say in the book, the two of them have taken different lessons. Um, whereas um, William derived a lot of strength from the idea that he's going to be king and have great uh, responsibilities. It kept him going. Uh, Harry went the other way. I mean, what's interesting, I describe in the book the story of how at the age of four, Harry was misbehaving in the back of the car um, and his nanny told him to shape up. He said, well, I don't have to shape up. I'm not going to be king. So from the age of four for him and six, for William, um, the, the role of heir and spare um, are already getting laid down. And uh, the book goes on to describe how, by their teens, um, Harry's coming to resent this typecasting. Um, the fact that uh, there's a king of the castle, that's William, and a dirty rascal, 
that's him. Harry gets the blame for everything. And then which comes up a lot in your book when you, you know, that sort of kind of sing songy like it's a song, right? The Dirty Rascal. Yes, it's 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 a nursery rhyme we have in Britain. Nursery rhyme. Um, and then we have another expression. Um, chickens coming home to roost. And you asked about this next uh, season of the crown. And it's no secret that the seat, the crown will never approach the current day, but it will look very forensically at the 1980s, what went wrong, the advent of this brilliant young actress we've got as, as, as Diana. But, you know, nowadays we see the, the psychological results um, of what started to go wrong in the 1980s. So there's an eternal sort of resonance to what we'll be looking at on our TV screens in, in a few weeks' time. Very excited. Okay, well, let's talk Battle of Brothers. So Rachel and I have, like we told you, been reading your book for the past uh, couple days, and it just came out. Can you, for our listeners, describe the book in your own words um, and just give them a quick summary? Battle of Brothers, um, I'll hold up the British cover, if I may, because um, yes, it's beautiful. this captures, it, it's a beautiful picture at um, the, the royal wedding of, of Harry and uh, Meghan. And it shows the brothers in all their pomp and circumstance and glory. Somebody said, well, you know, if the book is about a battle, why are you showing them so friendly? Well, it's because that's what makes the battle so poignant, that they grew up so close together. They were thrown together by the sad death of their mother. There was a lack of parenting, frankly, on the part of Charles as he kept on pursuing Camilla. Um, as we looked at the early years of this century and then um, into this decade. Um, they grew more and more together, it seemed, when, when, when William married Kate. That didn't break them up. Um, Harry was happy to fall in as a number three. But of course, with the advent of Meghan Markle, and that provides a sort of one of the climaxes of the book, she began to give Harry a different perspective on his life and his role and help him to see the way in which he had been stereotyped. And he rebelled against that. And uh, that's the climax of the book, the story of the rebellion and their decision to live in North America. And um, we have to ask, when did you start working on the book? Has, has it been in development for a while? Um, You've book, written lots of royal biographies. Yeah, the book has been, in one sense, the book is quite recent. Um, I mean, it, it could only be have been started this year in January when suddenly the rift became apparent. Um, in another sense, it's been 43 years in preparation. I first started writing about the royal family um, in 1977 at the time of the Queen's Silver Jubilee. Um, I've always tried to be, to a certain extent, an outsider, if this is not too pretentious, um, sort of anthropologist looking at strange species of, of royal behavior and our strange species of behavior when we look at these people. Certainly in Britain, there's a, there's a semi-religious, um, I don't want to be um, heretical here, but semi-religious uh, worship of this family. And I've discovered it already. The book's been out in Britain now a day or so. And already I'm getting letters saying, how dare you? criticize, well, I, you can mention any name, Prince William, uh, Kate, um, Harry. Th th these are larger than life characters in the hearts and imaginations of people in Britain and all over the world. 
And it's a bizarre thing when you think about it. I, I have nothing but respect for it. I mean, there are people who just laugh at royalty and, and you know, royal matters. I think they should be treated the more seriously because they do affect people's hearts in an irrational way. And one of the things that the book tries to do is to explain why these boys have such a hold on our imagination and why certainly in Britain, the fact of their separation now um, has you know, deep-seated fissures and um, along with the hope that there'll be some sort of resolution in the future. And you call it worship over there. We call it obsessed over here, royally obsessed. So I just (laughs) different name, but same same meaning pretty much. (laughs) In one sense, they're grand beings living a sort of fantastical life about which some of us fantasize. On the other hand, their concerns um, and and the mechanisms of their lives are what affects all of us. Go back to Cain and Abel. The, the love and also um, anger that can exist between brothers is an eternal human theme. Um, and that's one of the themes of my book. Well, I think for me, just, and, you know, Roberta and I talked a lot about this, like, you are just such an incredible storyteller. I think that for me, reading through the book, just kind of, you really laid the foundation going back through the 1980s and really everything that set the stage for where we are today. Um, I think one thing we did want to ask you about, you know, because a lot of talk has happened this year in particular about royal sourcing, can you, and it can get a little bit complicated. Can you talk us through the experts you used in the book? And was there any palace involvement? We'd just love to know kind of the backstory of that before we dive into some of the bigger plots. Well, there certainly was no palace involvement. Um, Mm -hmm. With my previous books, I have worked with the palace. There are mechanisms whereby serious writers can go into the palace. Um, I wrote a book called Majesty. I wrote a book called Monarch. In, In the latter case, for example, Um, I went into the palace. I was allowed to go down to the Royal Archives um, to look at the the official papers of Queen Elizabeth II's reign. Um, The feeling at the moment... What are the Royal Archives? I'm so The Royal Archives are in Windsor Castle. Um, They go back to, uh, well, Victorian times, really. If if you're a serious scholar, um, you can get permission to go and absolutely love you. Walk into Windsor Castle, you're you're, you're treated to cups of tea at 11 o'clock and 4 o'clock. Uh, it's all very civilized. Um, and, um, you know, I was able to get a lot of help. With this book, when I, um, towards the end, I, as is my habit, I sent some draft chapters of particularly, well, difficult, delicate subjects to discuss with people at the palace. I just got them back. I, I actually keep them here by my desk. Um, here, oh, wow. here is the, the package from the Queen's uh, communication secretary um, and the letter that was sent separately saying, um, um, thank you for sending these draft chapters. Um, I'm returning them to you unread. Um, This is another book with which we would choose to cooperate. And for the avoidance of any doubt or misunderstanding that the palace has authorized or participated in your book's preparation, I'm returning this material to you unread. So it's a sort of wow, and so just for our audience, Robert just held up sort of a parcel of of the trap chapters that he sent. That was it's just a package with a letter that was on formal letterhead. Buckingham Palace seal on the letter too, as well. Yes, yes. totally, um, totally unopened. Um, so um, no, I didn't get help from the palace, but I did get help from people around the palace. Um, the palace are a very important part of this story. I mean, there is. 
the conflict between the brothers. There is the role of their wives and partners, which is very significant. There's the role of Charles and um, his brother-in-law, Charles uh, Spencer, Diana's brother, who I discovered and reveal in the book, was, was, was involved in the story in a way in which nobody knew before. But the palace, the courtiers are also involved because when um, Meghan and Harry split away from Kate and William, they used to have a joint office at Kensington Palace. You know, in London, we talk, as all your uh, royally obsessed followers will know, <laughs> um, and when you say palace in London, there's, there's quite a choice of them. Yeah. Um, there, is, <laughs> there is Buckingham Palace, and that is the headquarters of the Queen and Prince Philip. They also have Windsor um, out in the, the countryside um, as um, a sort of sub-office where the Queen spends a lot of time. Then there is St. James's Palace, um, which is where Prince Charles is based. Um, and then there is Kensington Palace, which was famous as the home of Diana and Charles in happier days. And it is where William and Harry were for many years, where William still is living with Kate and a number of other royals like Princess Michael of Kent and so on. And the plan always was that that's where um, Harry and Meghan would be. But they decided, no, thank you. We'd like to live in Windsor. Um, And Prince Charles said, who was paying for it at that stage, well, sorry, you can live there, but um, I'm not paying for your office there. To save a bit of money, you'll have to have your offices in Buckingham Palace. So that meant that um, Meghan and Harry had their personal staff in Buckingham Palace. And that's where another whole level of conflict developed between Meghan's American advisors, whom she brought into the palace. No one had ever done this before, but she wasn't happy with the caliber of the advice she was getting from the officials. She brought in her own people. That created, in its own right, bad feeling, which lasts to this day. Right. And did you speak to um, anyone involved in the kind of office shift, or who were the sources that you kind of spoke with? Well, um, the sources I spoke with were, I, I did have a few sources from the past who were familiar with Buckingham Palace. So I got a new inside dimension on the negotiations between uh, the palace and um, uh, the Sussexes at the climax of the the crisis. Um, and then um, people um, close to William, people close to Charles, and also to some extent people close to Harry and Meghan. But it was not my purpose to be on any one person's side. Um, right. I tried to take what I was told and have melded it, I hope, into a neutral and central and historical account um, of what was actually going on you know, in real life, but also uh, in the hearts and minds of those who were involved. I think as you described anthropological, I think that that's a great take on it. That's how I felt reading it. It feels very historical with all the different references and taking us all the way back. I I support that sort of idea. Yes. And also one of the main plot points, obviously, is the heir and the spare dynamic that you elaborate on and was one of the most striking parts of the book to us, I feel like. Do you feel like, because I know you said on Good Morning America, the British royal system can be very cruel and it's particularly cruel to the spare. Do you feel like Harry really ever had a chance? Looking back, one of the sad aspects of this story is is how... Harry fell into the same trap as the spares before him. Um, As your 
followers will know, there is in Britain the tradition of the heir and the spare. And to start with in life, they're co-stars. I mean, those of you who are older will remember the little princesses, Margaret and Elizabeth, playing together on swings um, in the palace gardens. Um, both of them idolized by the nation and the world. But then as the years go by, Princess Margaret got shunted down the food chain. The same thing happened with Andrew, and it's now happened particularly with, with, with Harry and um, with brother William. Um, as early as I say, um, in their childhoods, they became aware of this. And that is interestingly why we understand that um, perhaps to the present day, um, Prince William does not want his eldest son, George, to know about his future destiny. George is That coming. was a really interesting detail, actually. I love that you're bringing that up. Yeah, that um, uh, William felt that he, he, he was told his destiny too casually. It was just assumed. He was thrown into it um, without any preparation. It robbed him in a way of his childhood and his tried to keep that aspect of, of, of his early years precious for George. Uh, we don't know whether William has now told him his son, but it certainly seems likely that when last December, the family posed for that picture that's been called the Four Monarchs of um, Elizabeth II, Charles III, um, uh, William V is going to be, isn't it? And then George VII, Little Prince George. Um, I have it on pretty good authority that little Prince George did not know at that stage exactly why he was taking part in the picture. He didn't know he was a future king. Um, and um, he was told it's all part of us expressing our love and admiration and support for Gangan. And, and so that, you know, there's a sign today how William felt that um, the roles into which he and Harry were forced um, distorted their lives. Wow. So interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, and another major theme in the book, you know, that really kind of struck Roberta and I is, and it's something that I, I wish that I had been more thoughtful about, I guess, in my sort of adoration of William and Harry, um, is the impact of Charles and Diana's marriage on the boys. You know, William and Harry don't really talk about it as you talk about in the book. They talk about their mental health challenges, like that kind of stuff, starting with the death of their mother. But it's interesting to me because Diana and Charles were such incredible parents. It was a huge, it was one of the few things that they had in common, but their marital issues did really play out so publicly. Can you talk about that impact? Um, well, as you rightly say, Rachel, um, Diana and Charles tried to be good modern parents, um, but it didn't uh, quite work out. Right from the beginning, there was, as Diana memorably said, there were three in the marriage, um, and that led to the, um, the tensions that actually broke the marriage up before these boys reached their teens. And of course, for them, this was not, well, I, I was going to say not just the routine breakup of a marriage, which happens sadly all too frequently nowadays, but it had a public dimension. When um, Camilla and Charles talked about their love intimately, and that was broadcast on um, uh, and, and republished in the newspapers. That was there for the embarrassment of William and Harry. When Diana admitted that, well, maybe there were three in the marriage, but she turned into four in the marriage with her love affair with James Hewitt, um, who was the boys' riding instructor, that came as a total bombshell. News to 
to the boys. She even, Hewitt even published a book um, in which he claimed um, that you know, he and Diana would be making love in a four-poster bed in one room with the boys in the next. And all these embarrassing details were, were spread in public um, for the boys to endure. And um, as we say, um, they come to two alternate conclusions. William feels that, well, the one thing I can salvage from this is my future destiny as king, my duty. Um, Harry comes to feel, well, we're the victims of a loveless marriage. When I get to that stage, I'm going to go for love. Um, and this is the clash that we have between love on the one hand and duty on the other. And in 1936, those two values were incorporated in one man, Edward VIII, who abdicated um, in that case. Well, you, you, from his point of view, love one. From the point of view of the monarchy, duty one. Today, we've got it embodied on two sides of the Atlantic Ocean and, and America itself. Um, we've got Harry and Meghan um, standing for love in California, which is perhaps appropriate. And here we have William and Kate keeping duty going. And whether those two um, opposing values can ever be reconciled um, is one of the puzzles and challenges for the future. Yeah, it does feel like a real challenge for the future because it's like, can't they kind of connect or, yeah, can they be reconciled? I, I, that is the bigger question. We already know that next March, there is going to be some sort of review of this situation. Right. When the agreement was drawn up um, in March of this year, the Queen suggested there should be a 12-month period followed by a review. Harry, we are told, didn't want that. Uh, that would suggest that, you know, He's happy to be in, um, in, in exile, but uh, um, Buckingham Palace say that at the end of March or before the end of March, the Queen, Prince Charles and Prince William will sit down and examine what they think should be done next. Interestingly, there's no mention of including Harry in this. So how they can arrive at um, a joint solution is not clear. Then later next year, on the 1st of July, um, that's the 60th anniversary of Diana's birth. Um, and William and Harry have both committed um, to be present at the unveiling of the statue they have commissioned in their mother's honor. That will be in Kensington Gardens. And we will see them. Uh, William and Harry, presumably their wives will be there. Presumably Prince Charles will be there. Presumably Camilla will not be there. And um, they'll be on display and the world will want to know, well, is this genuine? Is it an, an act? We can't possibly impose our own ideas upon them, but it would seem there are two likely outcomes. Either they will reconcile in some sort of way, but I think uh, Harry and Meghan will go on living in California. Um, I mean, they're already establishing uh, an alternative branch office of, of House of Windsor, Inc. Um, in California. At the moment, that's unlicensed. Maybe the House of Windsor will have the imagination to see that this could actually expand um, the appeal of the British monarchy and its work. Maybe it won't. But um, either there'll be some sort of reconciliation um, or there'll be some sort of break. And, and it needn't be a bitter, hostile break. I mean, it, it can be two brothers. It can be a family deciding, look, um, you know, it's quite common when someone in a family marries, um, they move away 
from the mainstream of the family, um, develop new priorities, new ideas, different values. Both sides can accept it and, and go their separate ways. It doesn't have to be a bitter division, um, but these are all issues that lie in the future. I'm so glad you mentioned that, Robert, because I think um, one of the biggest questions that you know our listeners and your readers probably have is where does that relationship stand today do you know you know we're talking about july of next year and who knows what'll happen between now and then but do you think after researching and writing your book um that they are on better terms now than they were um do you know where it stands what what are your thoughts on that i'm sad to say i do not think they are on better terms i mean i think the way in which William and Kate are plowing ahead here in Britain, um, developing their role, frankly, expanding their role, um, that would seem to indicate they're not anticipating and they don't want um, Harry and Meghan to, to come back. Um, and um, we know that in the palace, um, among the courtiers, there is this partisanship against um, Meghan and, and Harry. So um, the, the omens for some glorious and sentimental reconciliation um, do not seem very good. On the other hand, um, we know that the brothers communicate from time to time. William and Kate sent some friendly pictures um, uh, at the time of Harry's um, recent birthday, re recalling the good, good, good times. Shortly after that, there was a claim in a British newspaper that there have been bullying involved in the rift. And like a shot, and when I say like a shot, we're talking two, three hours before lunchtime on the day that this came out, Harry and William had issued a joint statement denying bullying. In other words, um, William did not want to be seen as a bully. Harry did not admit that he had been bullied. And both of them with their emphasis on mental health work um, wanted to be disassociated from bullying. Now, how did they do that? I, I doubt actually they spoke on the phone to each other. I would have thought it's much more likely that their staffs, and you know, and each of these men has half a dozen or so advisors around them, would have said, this is not a good story, uh, and spoken to their boss, and the boss in each case would have said, right, let's get some joint statement out, which came out. So um, there in a matter of hours, when it mattered, they acted together, um, and we'll just have to see if that happens next year. It's very interesting that um, Harry has actually addressed the issue in his memorable interview last year in Africa with Tom Bradby, when he said, you know, yes, we're going our separate ways, um, but then he said rather touchingly, I'm reading this from the back of the book, you know, I'm always going to be there for him, um, and I know he'll always be there for me. Um, I think that was a nice human way of handling the issue. Very interesting that William has issued no such statement. Um, he hasn't acknowledged even that the problem the rest of the world sees clearly in you know, homes on different sides of the world um, with the Sussexes actually suspending their royal status. Um, William has never made any public reference to that. Um, and, and that, of course, is very much in the style of his grandmother from whom um, he, he takes so many examples, best to be dignified and keep out of it. But it's clearly a problem that he is going to have to address sometime in the future. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Well, and I think, you know, one thing we did want to follow up with you about is what about the relationship that they have with Charles? I think that that is really fascinating to us, too, because I think COVID has also added another dimension to this because it was kind of the timing of it with the pandemic hitting right when Harry and Meghan had their last moment as senior royals. And then he really has had this complete separation. But then Charles getting coronavirus is rumored to have been sort of what potentially brought them back together. Do you know anything about the relationship there currently? Well, you're quite right, uh, Rachel. Coronavirus has made played a major role in this. And as you say, on that Commonwealth Day service, that was the first time we saw Prince Charles with his namaste greeting. Um, for the first time in public, public figures were not shaking hands. They were trying to socially distance, even though um, there were no regulations in place at that time. Um, and... Um, even though um, Meghan and Harry officially departed in March, when they left, their plans embraced coming back to England in the summer, staying in Frogmore Cottage, joining up for the Queen's birthday and celebrations like that. One aspect of their Netflix deal that they've done for so much money is that they've used that money to pay off the two and a half million pounds the British taxpayers spent on doing up Frogmore Cottage. So they clearly intend to come back um, and um, live uh, in, in that place. There are currently quite well-founded rumors of instructions going to spruce up the cottage, which led to, I think, rather excited rumors that maybe Harry was coming back for a secret meeting with his grandmother without realizing that under the rules of quarantine, um, he could not actually legally meet his grandmother until two weeks after he arrived. So um, we'll see. It seems more likely they'll be coming back for their court case um, next year when, when Meghan, seems, has to actually stand up in court and answer questions. And that will be a, a first for um, a royal. So COVID, yes, has definitely complicated this situation. Um, to answer finally your question about Charles, I think it's very interesting that... Um, when William had his conversation with his brother about perhaps the need to slow down in the relationship uh, and, and consider the challenges involved in you know, a, a foreign self-made celebrity coming into the family with very definite political views. I mean, a very valid, if these are the questions he asked, they were very valid questions. And um, they have proved the issues that have actually broken the family apart for the time being, at least. Um, when Harry brushed him off, he then turned to his uncle Charles. Um, he didn't turn to his father. He turned to Charles Spencer, Diana's brother, who'd assumed over the years the role of a sort of honorary godfather. And sad to say, that would seem to represent some sort of defect in Charles's parenting of the two boys. Having said that, who knows? Mm -hmm. Maybe at this very moment, um, Charles is on the phone behind the scenes talking to both brothers. Certainly since the trouble happened and came out in the open, um, Charles and William have got close as never before. In the past, there have been quite significant arguments between them, with, with, with William expressing anger um, at his perceived um, criticisms of, 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 of how Charles was carrying out his role. You know, there could well be something going on behind the scenes that we're not being told about. That's the way the House of Windsor operate. Some of us think it's rather too secretive and, and stealthy. If in this case, it proves to be going on, I think, and, and produces a happy result, 
then I think everybody will be very pleased. Absolutely. That's a really good take on that. We always want to know what what actually are their, you know, interactions and what's going on behind the scenes. So I'm curious to see their reunions next year or at the end of this year, like you mentioned. Um, so, Robert, our last question for you that we ask all of our guests a little um, not as not as serious <laughs> as our other ones. If you could identify with any royal living or dead, who would it be and why? What a big question. What a wonderful. I know. <laughs> I have to say that um, uh, the royal who really captured my imagination um, was Diana. I mean, I have great respect for the way the queen has done her work. I've written a couple of big books studying the work of the queen. I think she, she's, she's done a fantastic, remarkable job. Um, but I, I love the rebellion in Diana. Um, and I think that's why I also love the rebellion um, that lives on in Harry um, and indeed in Meghan. Um, I find Megan a fascinating character. I'm not sure I could coexist with her any more than a lot of other people in this country. But um, you know, she's a self-made woman. She's dynamic. Um, metaphorically, she walks in the same mi- um, minefields that Diana walked through physically. Um, uh, she's living dangerously. She's a woman of high principles and ambitions. Um, and we'll just have to see whether... Um, the, the House of Windsor finds a way of incorporating all this talent and promise, which so far um, has been excluded, but which I hope will find some way of being brought back into the fold. Absolutely. Our fingers are crossed. We, we really hope so. so. Yes, we hope so too. Robert, it's well, been such a so pleasure much. chatting with you. We could literally talk to you all day, but we, <laughs> we know you got to get going. But thank you again for spending the time. But it's always nice to meet a Roberta. And um, thank you, Rachel, as well. Thanks very much. <laughs> thank, thank you again. You. And here are our highs and lows. It's time for the royal highs and lows. So my low of the week is Kate and William are probably leaving London, and we're not sure why. It might be for the kids' break. Thomas Battersea's school closes October 22nd to November 1st for a little fall half-term break. Um, but it could be because of COVID, which it's so, so sad and, so you know, very scary, I feel like, for them to just have gotten back and then to leave right away again for Anmer Hall. Um, London just moved to high alert, like we mentioned, as cases there really spike and all across Europe and here, obviously, yeah. too. So just kind of scary and i hope that they're safe in in anmer yeah totally that have to I leave wonder, london again which is like meh yeah i wonder what the reasoning is beyond that if there is more right my low of the week is kind of the weird salacious feeling timing of dominic west's the crown casting news if everyone's been following there's a rumor that he he's it well he not a rumor he's in talks to play prince charles on the crown in seasons five and six and it just seems a little bit bizarre to have those headlines the same week we're having headlines about his rumored infidelity with Lily James. Oh Um, my gosh, the pictures. And him and his wife released a statement that their marriage is really strong and they're still together, but I'm like, they released a research. Like, did you see that? It was a handwritten note that they like posted outside their house to the paparazzi. It's all like the strangest. I like really want to dig into what's happening there, but it's so strange. Yeah, it is like, weird like, timing. Maybe, maybe he's just studying for the role because obviously, you know, he'll be playing oh, Charles, God. you know, when he had an affair um, and all that stuff. But I'm just, that's a serious know, felt a little. That was like a hmm so. low. <laughs> yeah. I'm all about the hmm lows. <laughs> All right. Well, my high is that Edo revealed a B-Day present. Get it? Beatrice. Uh-huh. 
be. Um, no, but he he revealed in an interview, a rare interview with the Financial Times. I feel like he hasn't been interviewed very much, but he opened up about his wedding suit, the one object he'd never part with, which is his wedding ring, and revealed the best gift he's ever given. It was a sculpture for Princess Beatrice, his new wife. He described it as a bronze figurative sculpture, which he commissioned from his stepfather, the sculptor David Williams Ellis, for Beatrice's birthday last year. So a lovely gift, a sculpture. And I looked at David Williams Ellis's website and the work is really incredible and it's all Ooh, bronze and yeah I would love to see the sculpture I hope they show us one day and she's yeah. been on Twitter a lot more recently so maybe we'll see more from her yeah, she posted two tweets in a row and that's the first Ooh. time since September 2019 when she got engaged so big deal welcome yeah. back to Twitter Beatrice. <laughs> love hearing from them uh my high of the week is just more uh, Kate and William playing games on Zoom. So we got bingo over the summer. Now we have Pictionary, which they did to mark the one-year anniversary of their trip to Pakistan. Uh, they are just, I think that they come alive when they're kind of game playing and competing. Like, And some of my they're favorite so moments competitive. Just, Yeah, they're so competitive. Like William leaning into the screen like he's like, I can't see. You know, we all have that struggle. But also him <laughs> revealing that, you know, Kate is, um, that they really like drawing, but he's, Kate's really good at it and he's really bad at it. The way he said it was so funny and uh you know she was kind of like you just need to practice more she was very complimentary the little girl in the game asked why are you bad at it? and he was <laughs> like she was, he was like i don't know and kate was like you just don't practice like, yeah she's clearly. like that's why work harder william <laughs> but I just um, keep practicing all the time i love thinking that she's probably drawing like pictures for that george and charlotte so and Louis. oh my gosh yeah. out at anmer hall um but yeah i just i i think my high is just seeing them play more games like let's just do that there's so, even before this like they're great when they're competing so more of that. All right. Well, just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast or personally, I'm at Robbie Frito. And I'm at RKBNYC. And you can always drop us an email at info at gallerypodcast.com. Till next week, God, God save the, the pod. Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.